Good morning. Seems kind of empty towards the front, doesn't it? <laughs> I knew it was going to be fewer. Actually, most of you know I was supposed to be in Papua New Guinea right now, so I wasn't going to be teaching. Pastor Barron was supposed to be teaching, but then he asked Pastor Cole to do it. And, uh, and Pastor Barron, as Brother Keith said, was headed for Ashtabula. And he's filling in for a pastor over there. Um, so... Someone had the idea of me filling in for Pastor Cole, so I filled in for Pastor Cole, who was going to fill in for Pastor Chris, who was filling in for a pastor in Ashtabula, and you get me. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. <laughs> One person's happy about it. <laughs> Maybe two. I, I'm not unhappy about it, so it's okay. All right. So my name is Michael Merritt. For anybody that doesn't know me, uh, I'm a... Regular teacher around here. I haven't taught so much lately. That was on purpose because I was supposed to be going to Papua New Guinea. Um, but I think the next time I'm scheduled to teach is May, uh, where I'll be teaching for the month of May in this particular class. But anyways, welcome to the adult Sunday school class. Uh, Pastor Chris did ask me to uh, continue on with the lessons that he has been teaching out of the series, uh, The Real Church. Um, does everybody have the notes? I, I know Brother Kelly was busy passing them out. If you've got the notes, great, uh, so that you can follow along and, and fill in the blanks. Today's lesson, uh, as I mentioned to Pastor Chris, I said, oh, I see uh, the, 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 the lesson on missions. Pastor Chris, who was a missionary for 10 years, is the right one to teach that, right? <laughs> but uh, he asked me to teach this this morning, and I'm, and I'm happy to do so. Um, as I do it... Uh, we're going to be sticking mostly in Acts chapter 13, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll be in Acts chapter 13. Uh, as we go through the lesson, there's a couple of quick things that I would like you to just kind of keep in your mind as we go through. Um, this is what I wrote in the introduction section, so you're welcome to write this in. You don't have to, but um, there's just two points. You're going to have to write small if you're going to write these in. Okay, the first one that I want you to remember is that God desires all men to be saved. I'll show you that in the scriptures. Most of you are familiar with the scriptures that say that. And the second point is this. Christ commissioned the local church to carry the gospel into all the world. So God desires all men to be saved, and Christ commissioned the church, the local church, like this one, to carry the gospel into all the world. So with those two things in mind, uh, let's get into the lesson. Let's, uh, if you're in Acts chapter 13, I want to read the first four verses. Acts chapter 13, and we'll read verses uh, 1 to 4. It says in verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So with those two points that I asked you to remember, that God desires all men to be saved, and Christ commissioned the local church to carry the gospel into all the world. 
One of the things that you realize with those two points very quickly is that when Christ ascended to heaven, which is when he gave the great commission, we call it, to the church, when he did that, when he ascended to heaven, uh, he left the church with a daunting task. It's a seriously big task. Uh, Let's read the Great Commission again. I I, I think I did this in the last class, but let's read that. Keep your finger in Acts 13, but go back to uh, Matthew chapter 28. just want to read Christ's words and what he said to the church here. In Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So when we consider the magnitude of the task that, that Christ gave us, and it's, it's, uh, it's a staggering task, um, most of you know that I, I'm a numbers guy, I like numbers, I like math, But when we start talking about a population of the world being around 8 billion people, um, one of the things that's always fascinated me about big numbers is our inability to to actually grasp them. So I'm just going to give you a quick example to let you know what the task is that Christ has given this church and other churches like us. So 8 billion people on earth. Let's say that we're going to have an outreach Saturday and our goal is to get a gospel tract into every person's hand in the town of Eden. Okay? There's a little less than 8,000 people in the town of Eden. Okay. 8 billion is that. Say we do that in one day. And then we decide to continue on every day thereafter, giving around 8,000 tracts out every day. I want you to think real quick, how far... How long do you think it would take us to reach 8 billion? I know you don't know. <laughs> Most people aren't really quick. I, I, I was an engineer. I need a calculator to figure these things out. <laughs> well, if we gave around 8,000 tracks out every single day to reach 8 billion people, we would have to do it for 2,740 years, which is longer than it's been since Christ even gave us the commission to do it. It's a huge, staggering task, isn't it? That shouldn't bother us, right? It shouldn't stop us, for sure. Because God's word is clear that the salvation of souls is the very heartbeat of God. That is what we are supposed to focus on. Yes, we need to grow in Christ. We need to walk with him. We uh, even in the men's prayer meeting today, there was some prayer about our own hearts and getting some of the things out of our own lives that we need to get out. Uh, we need to do those things. We need God's help to do that. But his heartbeat is about the salvation of souls. If you look on your notes, there, there's a few verses here that kind of tell you that. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Why did he come? To seek and to save that which was lost. Man, our, our lost souls. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God desires all men to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish in their sins. 
He wants all to repent and be saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us, the, the world, the entire world. And that is why he gave us Jesus. That's why he sent him. His only begotten Son. So that we could be saved if we would simply believe. It's the heartbeat of God. Not only does Christ care that the entire world hear the gospel message, but he's commissioned us to carry it to every person. We just read from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, where he said, Go ye therefore. And today the ye is is us. It was his disciples he was talking to, the church that he had started in Jerusalem. And today this is us. This is our task in these days when there's 8 billion people on earth. In John 20, 21, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. He's talking to you, Christian. He sends you. So have you ever really, I mean, we we have missions conferences every year and we talk about missions a fair amount around here. I think we have a pretty good heart for missions in this church. Uh, I know we we certainly support a lot of missionaries uh, financially and in prayer. I hope you individually uh, are praying and in fact fasting for our missionaries. They certainly need it. But have you ever really thought and spent time thinking about how we're going to complete this assignment that Jesus has given us? It's billions of people. Eight billion in the world. So some billions in the world today haven't even heard the gospel. Even once. I don't know how many that is. But it's billions. It's a lot. So how are we going to reach them? Well, some might think, well, maybe there's some sort of technology or uh, some element uh, that we can use to boost our success rate. Well... Okay, well, what's our strategy going to be? How are we going to do this? Well, as with anything, the best thing to do is to really consider uh, how God told us to do it. All right, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what God had to say about missions, uh, whose responsibility it was, which I've already let that cat out of the bag. But we're going to talk about how he told us to do it. What is God's plan for worldwide evangelization? Because long before technology came around, churches of the first century were successfully fulfilling this mission. They were reaching the people in their areas. The church at Antioch was the first to send foreign missionaries, and their model gives us a biblical pattern for missions. Okay, That's what we just read there in Acts chapter 13. If you want to go back there, uh, you can just kind of hang there. I might ask you to turn back a couple pages as we go. Um, But Acts 13 uh, records the first missionaries commissioned and sent. And through the verses that we're going to read again, uh, we learn God's program for missions. Especially we learn how every member of the local church can be a part, and I would even submit how every member of every local church should be a part and needs to be a part. I'll show you why that is here in a minute. So let's start kind of marching through this. So you know we will not finish this lesson. (laughs) I I think we're going to get through the first couple of points. I will leave the third one for Pastor Chris to finish up uh, perhaps next week. 
So number one on your notes, see the first fill in there. I want to talk about the context, C-O-N-T-E-X-T, the context of missions. So where is the hub of missionary action? Who orchestrates and organizes it? I think some Christians have this wrong. Um, in our church, we don't have this thought, I don't think, but other churches do. Some churches think it's their denominational board. Some churches aren't independent churches. They have, their, they have a hierarchy, right? They just have churches around, and then there's a hierarchy at some corporate office, if you will, that, that's their denominational board. And they think they're the ones that are responsible for figuring out what to do about missions. That's not the case. That's not the example of the first century church. That's not biblical anyway. I'm not saying they don't do some good things. I think they do. Um, But that's not the example. That's not the pattern that we have in the Bible. Um, Is it some other parachurch organization? Some people think, uh, like for example, uh, Pastor Chris and Brother Justin Dye um, are on the mission field and they're using a missions board called Word for the World. Right? Some of us tend to think that, well, then Word for the World is responsible for all of this, right? (laughs) That is not correct. So you understand the missions board just helps them to get there by helping them with things like taxes and tracking their, their, uh, the gifts that they receive, the offerings that they receive. They help them with that. And there's other support that they can provide uh, to a missionary. But it's not the missions board's responsibility. That's not the center of missions. That's, they're, they're just helpers. Um, some have the idea that missions is the idea of you know some nebulous group out there that someday is going to reach the world. No, that's not the case. God has designed that real missions take place through real local churches. Okay, a lot of people don't realize this either. Uh, I'll, I'll use Brother Justin as a as an example. Uh, who does Brother Justin report to? if you will. You're going to say Jesus, right? Which is true. (laughs) I I got that. You understand that, that, that Justin, because he's a missionary that's sent out of this church, is under the authority of Pastor Cole. Because he's sent out of this church. Okay, A lot of people don't even know that. Brianna recently decided that she's going to go to Papua New Guinea. Right? I'm sure she understands. She will still be under the authority of her pastor, which by then will be Pastor Chris. Right? Missionaries know this. The rest of us tend not to know that he's under the authority of Pastor Cole. If Pastor Cole were to decide for some reason that Justin needs to be off the missions field, Justin would have to come off the mission field. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> God has designed that, that missions take place through the local church. And that's letter A in your, your next fill in there is the context of missions is it's through a local church. L-O-C-A-L, a local church. Acts 13 and verse 1 immediately sets the context of missions. We see that, that it begins in the local church. Just look at the first few verses. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. I'm just going to stop there. It's going to talk about some teachers and some preachers, some prophets. But it's talking about a church that was in Antioch. 
So Pastor Chris has taught this in the past regarding the church, as we're studying the real church. Um, A church is a called out assembly of believers belonging to the Lord. It is a group of people summoned together around a common faith and with a common purpose. The church at Antioch had a unique start in that it was established by believers who had scattered from the persecution in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, was the one that Jesus started. Right? And then this other church in Antioch started when believers scattered. Acts 7 records the powerful message that Stephen preached to unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. Now, their hatred toward Christ, the Jews in Jerusalem, when Stephen was preaching to them, uh, left uh, Stephen dead. They stoned him to death when he was preaching Christ. Some of you remember that part of scripture. As a result, Christians scattered from Jerusalem. That resulted in the church at Antioch being formed. Okay? Turn, if you will, uh, if you're in Acts 13, go back just a page or two to Acts 11. I want to look at a few verses here. Um, in Acts 11, and let's start in verse 19. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose around about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So the church at Antioch began to grow as they were preaching, notice, to Jews only. But then something really interesting happened. <clears throat> and this is something that the Christians that were in Jerusalem, I think, didn't, didn't expect this to happen. And what happened was, not only were Jews trusting Christ, but Gentiles started turning to the Lord as well. Now, you, you can read that. Uh, well, let's read it. Uh, it's in, start, start, just go to 20 and 21 here in, in uh, Acts 11. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So people coming from, notice they're, they're uh, Grecians and people from Cyprus and Cyrene, not necessarily Jews, some were Gentiles. And they began getting saved. Um, The church at Jerusalem was comprised mostly of Jews. Um, But they were believers in Jesus Christ. Christ started the church. I think they were a little suspicious of the news that the Gentiles were getting saved in Antioch. And perhaps they were a little prejudiced towards Gentiles as well. You, You all know the relationship with the Sumerians and right okay the the Jews really often had little to do wanted to have little to do with the Gentiles and and in fact uh, during Jesus time during this time uh, (laughs) they hated the Romans right as a general group but there's some interesting things that, that happened here what happened was the church of Jerusalem being perhaps skeptical that Gentiles were being saved in Antioch, what happened was they sent Barnabas to investigate. Okay? Look at uh, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. 
So when Barnabas went to Antioch, he found a church that was growing and preaching the gospel. And he rejoiced in seeing new converts coming to Christ. And it would be from this very church in Antioch that the Holy Spirit would call the first missionaries to spread his word to regions beyond Antioch. So the context of missions, A, is a local church. B, it's a loving church. That's the next fill-in. Loving, L-O-V-I-N-G. It's a loving church. So um, throughout the book of Acts, the presence of the Holy Spirit was evidenced by love for the Lord and love for his people. We see the bond of love from the very beginning of the early church. In Acts 2.46, the Bible says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That's a church that's in unity. They're serving the Lord. See how they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They would eat together. And it says at the end of that verse that they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Again, they're united. They're unified in what they're doing. In Antioch, we see a diversity of backgrounds and nationalities. And yet, there's this common bond of love within this church. Go back to Acts 13, and I'm going to continue reading in, in verse 1. Acts 13:1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I want you to notice the international nature of this church. This is, this is a broad diverse group of people. Barnabas was a Levite. He was a Jew. He was from Cyprus. He was a native of the country of Cyprus. Um, I'm not going to go there, but it tells us that in Acts 4 and verse 36, that that's where he was from. Simeon, that was called Niger, was evidently a black man. The word Niger is Latin, which means black. It's the same word that we use today when we speak of the country of Nigeria. Okay? That's just what it means. And notice that Simeon was a teacher in the church. Lucius of Cyrene was from a city in northern Africa on the Mediterranean Sea. The old city of Cyrene is located in modern-day Libya. Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, was a man with strong Roman influence in his life. He'd either been uh, raised and educated in the household of Herod or he was a companion of Herod. I don't know exactly what it means where it says that he was brought up with him. And Saul, who had a Jewish background, remember he was a very high-ranking Pharisee before he got saved. So even just a quick review of the few teachers and prophets that are mentioned here in verse 1, um, you can see that there's this, this cultural and social diversity that would have been present in the church at Antioch. Some had aristocratic backgrounds. Some had perhaps been slaves. Some were educated. Others weren't. There were Jews, Romans, Greeks, and Africans. Yet they were all bound together because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The church at Antioch so evidenced the love and character of Christ that it was in this place that the name Christian was coined. 
Many of you are familiar with Acts 11 and verse 26 that says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole, uh, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It's interesting that the title Christian wasn't created by the church. It was unbelieving onlookers who observed how genuine these people were, and they, they couldn't help but tell that they were like this man Christ, Jesus, and so they called them Christians. Isn't, that's an interesting thing. <clears throat> A church without the love of Christ for each other, for lost people, is never going to experience real missions the way that God has intended it. Real missions takes place in a local church that has a loving heart. It takes place where Christians have enlarged their hearts beyond their personal needs and beyond their natural prejudices to care for those who aren't just like them, but who are without the gospel. That's who we need to be caring for. That's how we should act. We we are a local church. We need to love each other. We need to love the lost. And certainly we need to be loving God. Right? That's letter B. The context of missions is a loving church. So let's move on to the second point here. And talk about the calling of, it says missions in your notes, I think. Uh, in, in the lesson book here, it says the calling of missionaries. I think that's a, that, that makes it a little clearer. Okay? It means the same thing. but So I'm going to talk about it as the calling of missionaries. So missions begins in local churches that practice Christ's love. But how is it that some people are called to go to the mission field? And what does being called even mean? A lot of people struggle with that idea of being called. Um, One of the things that I did in my life, I I don't believe I was ever called into the ministry, if you will. I've been called as a Christian to do many things. It's, It's very clear in the Bible. God's even given me some special things that he's... He wants me to do, and I know that for a fact. But one of the things about this calling that I, for years when I first attended church, and once I got saved, I used to ask every missionary I ever met. Some of you have been here long enough to remember we used to have a men's meeting upstairs, and often we'd have missionaries come in and speak to the men on Sunday evenings before the evening service. I would ask every one of those missionaries, tell me about your calling. How did you know that you were supposed to go to whatever? And of course the answers differ a little bit, but they all ended the same way. It was unmistakable, right? They all know that that's what they were supposed to do. Just like I told you, there are some things I'm not called into full-time missions. I'm not called to be a full-time pastor or anything. But there are things that God, that I know God wants me to do. And, and you should have the same. Everybody should. You've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit if you're saved, right? And you should be called to use them in the church to further God's work. So in Acts, the, the next verse, in Acts 13.2, we find this first missionary call of the New Testament. It says in verse 2, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, uh, uh, as they ministered, notice that, it's as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So we see two factors here that allow a church family and individuals to hear God's directives concerning, concerning missions. The first one is letter A under, uh, sorry, if I didn't tell you that, it's the calling of missionaries is the, is the fill-in under number two. 
C-A-L-L-I-N-G. And then under letter A, the subpoint there, is that the calling of missionaries happens in a sanctified time. S-A-N-C-T-I-F-I-E-D. Happens in a sanctified time. Notice that when the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul, the church was already gathering together and ministering to the Lord. They were fervent in worship and they were busy about God's business. This was a church that was not just going through the motions, but they were genuinely ministering to the Lord. As they prayed, fasted, preached, led souls to Christ, sang, gave, they were doing it as unto the Lord. Right? That's the biblical example for those that have missionaries called from their church. Unfortunately, many modern churches are more self-centered. Those churches that are full of members that are more self-centered have few missionaries called out of them. Uh, Why? Because they're not really ministering to the Lord. Too often, the attitude of Christians in the church is more, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this church? Right? I come here to be fed and ministered to. Well, there's a time for that, especially if you're new to the faith and you want to learn. You, you, you need to just take it in. Uh, but uh, one of the things I love around here is even some of the, the folks that come in here and get saved, even they've been here for a couple of weeks, you notice they're, they're, they're helping. They're doing everything they can. That, that's great. Serve the Lord. Awesome. I love to see that. Your attitude shouldn't be what's in it for me. Your attitude should be how can I serve him? That's what you're here for, right? You should sit here and, and learn, right? Uh, but then your question should be, how should I be able to serve the Lord? We're prone to think of a calling to missions as something that just comes to a few intensely spiritual and especially dedicated Christians. Yet the church from which the Holy Ghost chose to call the first missionaries was filled with Christians who were sanctified to the Lord. Full of them. They were all that way. I don't know if they were all that way, but they were full of Christians doing exactly that, being sanctified, serving the Lord. We all need to be dedicated to the Lord and doing his work. At Antioch, it wasn't just the two men who were called that were sanctified. It was an entire congregation who were serving God, praying together, and seeking the mind of God. The whole congregation. So I think I can be as bold as to say, if you're not doing anything, you're actually hurting the church. You're hurting our mission, which is the commission given to us by Christ to reach the world. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm not here to hurt anybody. But I want you to realize, this is the context of missions, and this is, notice from Antioch, this is the church that God chose to call the first missionaries out of. The Lord calls those who are already dedicated to him and serving him to do his work. There's a, there's a simple little illustration here. I'll, I'll give it to you here. It helps you understand this point fully. You know, parents don't assign regular household duties or chores to the neighbor kids. Right? <laughs> they assign them to their own children. Right? They don't even ask, or they don't even expect the neighbors to care too much about the upkeep and cleanliness of their home. I mean, except for maybe how it affects their property value or something like that, right? They don't really care if your house is clean. They don't really care if you're keeping it up. 
So you don't expect them to care, do you? <laughs> In a similar way, the Holy Ghost doesn't call the world to do his work. He doesn't expect those who don't know him or love him to care about delivering his message to the lost world. He calls his own children, and he especially calls those who are already responsive to him and serving him. To hear God's call in relation to the mission field, we must already have a heart for God's will. We must care to have the mind of Christ and be listening to the voice of God. We must love who he loves and care for whom he cares. The calling of missions is A, in a sanctified time. B, it's in a sacrificial time. S-A-C-R-I-F. I-C-I-A-L. That's letter B, a sacrificial time. As the church at Antioch was fervent in worship, the Holy Spirit called them to sacrifice two of their very best and separate them to serve the Lord on foreign soil. Missionary Adniram Judson wrote this, quote, The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life, unquote. This is the motto every Christian in every local church should have that they have committed their lives to the Lord and are willing to go or stay or send others at his bidding. The need of souls to hear the gospel and the commission Christ has given to the local church is worthy of our highest sacrifices. Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate with lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world, unquote. That is our mission. That is really the main purpose of what we're doing here. We're trying to save souls, locally and around the world. Right? Remember the Great Commission we talked about. The church at Antioch was so committed to the Lord that they were not only praying, but they were fasting as well. It requires sacrifice to spend time in prayer and to couple the prayer with fasting. And fasting is really a way of bringing prayer to its fullest potential. That's what it is. I don't know if you noticed, if you read your bulletin, Tuesday is a recommended day of fasting for our church. I recommend you do it. <clears throat> fasting is a physical indication of a heart that yearns for God's will and for God's answers more than for physical appetites to be fulfilled. This church was fully devoted to the Lord. Sacrifice is not just for a few special Christians that Christ calls each of his disciples, uh, because Christ calls each of his disciples to sacrifice for him. Matthew 10, 37 and 38 says this, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. They're pretty hard words. They're Jesus' words. They are correct. Right? It's not just for the missionaries to sacrifice. It's for all of us to sacrifice because we would rather see souls saved than, saved than to have our own desires met. Real missions involves a sacrifice of heart that makes every other earthly love pale in comparison to our love for Christ. This means that whether we are called to go to the foreign field ourselves or whether we are called to send others, we are willing to sacrifice in prayer, fasting, and giving to further the work of the Lord. I'm going to have to skip over this because I'm almost out of time. I just want to give you the, the third point here, and then I 
can leave it for Pastor Chris to pick it up. He'll spend, he'll spend the whole time next week doing number three. And he'll do a better job than I'm doing. <laughs> so the calling of missions is, uh, missionaries is A, in a sanctified time, B, in a sacrificial time, and C, in a speaking time. <clears throat> so to this church in Antioch that was ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Men speak, like I'm doing now, but then God speaks. Right? What men say <laughs> may be open to debate. Certainly what I say is open for debate. <laughs> because uh, there's a huge difference between what men say and what God says. I say that to say this. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we should give ourselves no option but to obey. None. You don't have to do what I say. But you better do what the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit speaks to churches that are already active in his work. All right? God didn't call out of Antioch. You notice he didn't call prayerless men. He called praying men. God didn't call idle men. He called serving men. He didn't call fleshly men. He called spiritual men. So there's a lot of talk and a lot of ways to describe this calling of missionaries. But it's not sitting around waiting for a call. It's not that. If you've heard Justin or Pastor uh, Chris talk about what they did before they were called to the missions field. They were busy. They were doing everything they possibly could for the Lord. We're all supposed to do that. That's what was going on in Antioch. It's not just them. And then the Lord will see fit to call missionaries from our church. Okay? So we'd all be wise to ask ourselves if we're in a position to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us concerning missions. Are we actively engaged in his work? Are we sensitive to his voice? Are we responsive to his instructions? Missions is not a sideline of the church. It is the front line of Christ's commission. It's not something we fiddle with, considering and conforming it to our own passions and desires. It is the very heartbeat of God, a solemn responsibility to carry his message of salvation into all the world. We should focus our hearts and souls on hearing the Holy Spirit's voice in relation to missions. For, on the foreign field and here at home. It's, it's all the same thing. We're trying to get the gospel to those that are lost. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> I'm thankful for those that help with all of the other things. But everything that this church does, you know, is really pointed at trying to get people saved. Even when we have a nice dinner on the grounds. We go out and have a picnic. You know the idea there is, yeah, go out there and enjoy a meal. Enjoy each other's company. But if there's somebody out there that doesn't know Christ, tell them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That stuff. Okay? Everything. You, you can't pick a ministry here that isn't pointed at trying to get people saved. Uh, my, my son and, and daughter-in-law, they do a lot with the, the teens. Right? You know what they're doing? They're not trying to entertain the teens. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is to make sure the teens are saved and, and growing in the Lord. Missions is our main focus because that's the heartbeat of God. Okay, I'm done talking. Let me pray and I'll be done. Pastor Chris will pick it up here because the next section talks about 
how missions actually then happens. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it as a cliffhanger to tell you what point number three is, uh, and Chris will pick it up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, uh, Lord, for the Great Commission. Thank you, Lord, that um, uh, you show us clearly in the Bible how you called missionaries uh, from the first century church. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the missionary stories of, of Saul and Barnabas and, uh, Lord, what you did with them, the incredible things that you did to reach others with the gospel. Uh, Lord, we want to pray that you would use our church that way. Lord, help us to reach souls uh, here in the local area. Help us to be in support of um, even more missionaries, Lord. Help us to support them in, in prayer and in fasting, Lord, uh, financially as well. Lord, help us to fulfill your commission, Lord, that one day we can hear, well done, that good and faithful servant, each one of us. Help us to be a church that's pleasing in your sight, uh, Lord, one that you might call more missionaries from. Lord, I pray for that. If there's any, Lord, that you're working on, Lord, I pray that you would make your calling clear to them. Make it unmistakable. Now, Lord, I pray for the morning service. I pray that you would uh, use Pastor Cole as he preaches. Uh, Lord, uh, pray again that you would use the scriptures to affect our hearts. Uh, Lord, we look forward to what you'll do. We, we ask again for the salvation of souls, if there's any here that don't know Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.